Hello, and welcome to the Todd and Taylor Show. I'm Todd A. I'm Taylor Trask. And this is another edition of Coffee and Comics, which we've been doing for several weeks now, and which I really enjoy. I do too. Uh, it's yeah, good. it's cool. We uh, used to try to cover like every single book we were picking up every week or whatever. And it always, I know the last time we did that, uh, I just said, hey, I'm going to list a ton of stuff on my to be read pile <laughs> just yeah, to, keep, yeah. to keep me honest. And uh, this has worked out so much better. We each pick one book. We talk about that book uh, during one episode. And so you get like two great picks and a little bit more uh, details about them. And I like diving more in depth. It reminds me, I always compare it to the uh, the three kids at the end of every reading Rainbow episode who are like, you know, LeVar's like, you don't have to take my word for it. But um, but it cuts to the, you know, the kids doing their thing. It's, it's a lot like that. Yeah. But just with with comics and graphic novels, which, you know, I think it's it's interesting. I, one of the reasons I'm, I'm, I wanted to do this, this show or this, this style of show, I know there's a lot of people out there who aren't, you know, tried and true comic nerds in that traditional respect. Maybe they're people who, you know, walk by a comics or graphic novel aisle at Barnes and Noble and, and go, yeah, I'd like to be part of this. I just don't know where to start. This show is kind of for them too. You know, I wanted, I wanted sort of something that, that folks can, you know, listen to and get some recommendations on without feeling overwhelmed or like they have to be so deep into geek culture to, to, you know, consume anything. Right. And the other component to that is uh, that we often find ourselves drinking coffee when we do these podcasts. <laughs> exactly. Are you drinking some coffee today? I am. I am drink, doing the uh, seasonal evergreen latte from Sonder Coffee, which is just down the street, local coffee shop here in Aurora. Sonder Coffee for all of your caffeinated needs. It's actually really good. They just launched their seasonal stuff for the fall. And damn it, it's got like juniper in it. It's uh, I, it, it's it's fantastic. Um, I, juniper, okay. Yeah. I I had a, uh, a a chai tea latte the other week. Um, and every, every time I have that, it reminds me why I never drink chai tea lattes, and I keep falling for it. And it just tastes like eating a bowl of potpourri. So to me, whenever I think of seasonal drinks, that's what I think of. Like, yeah, maybe that's what a chai tea is like. So interesting. I don't, I'm not a. I guess I'm not into seasonal drinks. I'm drinking a Simple Truth organic seltzer water, lemon lime. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. That's not really coffee, Todd. I know. A little inside baseball. We're not actually mm. recording this episode in the morning. <laughs> and, and if, yeah, I, I skipped the coffee. I had coffee this morning, but not right now. Well, uh, that's all right. I'll give it, you'll get one, you get one pass and then you got to be back on again. Although you're not like, we've discussed this before. You're not really as big a coffee person as I am. Um, yeah, you, I'm a, you tend to go to Starbucks a lot more, I think, or you're more of a utilitarian drinker, let's just say. That is true. Yes. I reject all the, um, uh, qualities of coffee that people like. <laughs> I don't, I don't want it hot. I don't want it bitter. <laughs> it's like, wow. Yeah. But I don't know. I'm finding I'm, um, it's, you know, I got to find a middle ground. I don't want like super sweet stuff. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm just I'm trying a new thing now. Like often in the afternoons, I will grab at the small iced latte uh, from uh, Kit Coffee, um, which is nearby to to where I where I live and work. And um, I don't know where their beans come from, but it's a delicious, delicious <laughs> coffee. Um, and I'm just trying this thing now where it's like. I wonder if I'll sleep better and be more productive the next day if I don't have a latte. <laughs> yeah. Afternoon. yeah. So, uh, uh, yeah, that's why, that's why I'm getting the sparkly water tonight. 
Um, I used to do I used to do that, and then I just this week, especially around three o'clock, I'm just like I need a latte. I'm so dude. That's yeah. That's the thing. It's like you just start fading, and it's like I gotta hit that. So yeah. Um, Well, you don't have a coffee, but you do have a pick this week, and as usual, um, we don't know each other's picks going into the episode. You, the listener, do. We usually put it right in the cover art, um, but we don't know each other's picks, and that's part of the fun. And I guess Todd, what what do you have for us this week? Well, um. I, I went really mainstream. We have kind of introed our last few episodes and, and disclaimered a bunch about, oh, how we love image comics and drawn in quarterly. And we, you know, um, it's not always the big two DC and Marvel that we talk about, but I went DC this week. Ah, um, uh, and, I, and I slightly cheated. I'm hoping you let me get away with it. Uh, so I sharp listeners may recognize that the last time we did a giant roundup, I talked about how uh, I had been getting the issues of Supergirl being super, which was a limited series of four issues. And the issues are like, you know, they're not mega size or something. They're smaller than a trade, but they're longer than a normal floppy single issue comic. And mm-hmm. so it's, uh, yeah, they did a four issue run. And I really thought that by the time we recorded this episode... <laughs> <laughs> I would have information about when that was being released as a trade or a hardback or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and still there is nothing. So if you go on Amazon, look for Supergirl being super and you'll see issue like one of four, two of four, three of four, et cetera. Um, that's what I'm talking about. Cause it's one complete, uh, you know, series and story and yeah, I'll just jump right into it. Um, it was written by uh, Mariko Tamaki, whom I am unfamiliar with and Joel Jones uh, with whom I am familiar, uh, Joel Jones did a book um, with uh, Jamie Rich called um, "You Have Killed Me," which was this cool, like detective noir detective story, like basically like a hard boiled detective story as a black and white comic, and it was in a hardback, uh, you know, book. So it didn't, it did, and it and it was not the shape of a comic; it was the shape of a novel. So it was just this very cool thing. So I've always, since then, which was several years ago, I've followed Joelle Jones's art. And especially when she's gotten into, um, when she's been working for Marvel and DC, I've tried to pick up what I can like single issue wise and stuff. Um, so I was really excited that she was on the series. Um, and I've also previously mentioned, we do have a Todd and Taylor show. That's all about season one of Supergirl, the show. And I think in that I talked about how I've followed various reboots of Supergirl and, um, there was one, I almost want to say it was in the 90s, but it may have been early 2000s where um, they rebooted Supergirl. Supergirl had been dead in the universe, possibly since Crisis on Infinite Earths, or they just didn't have an ongoing series with her or something. So there's this weird way of bringing her back and retelling the origin story through the Batman and Superman comic, which um, I actually really liked that reboot. You know, she goes to live with the Amazons and gets trained that way. Um and it's there's this very it's kind of a my two dads situation with Batman and Superman, um, you know, Batman being very suspicious of this alien and Superman feeling this great kinship with his cousin. And, and it, it was very cool, like retelling. Uh, there was at the time a big, you know, the art was sort of of its day and uh, and. I quickly identified as like, Hey, why are we drawing a 16 year old girl in like tiny little skirts and, mm. you know, half nude all the time. And so, uh, it, it was just, 
you know, it, it was a book of the 2000s. So I can't vouch for all of it <laughs> and tell you like everything about it is perfect, but it was a, a good story. Um, and then I guess with the new 52 or whatever the last reboot was, um, I just wasn't feeling the Supergirl stuff. Um, and this is a, it, it's out of canon, I guess. Um, and it, in, oh, how do I want to say this? talks about the origin story it include it sort of includes the origin story but um in a under really understated way which i really appreciate because as you and i have talked about before especially with movies like we just don't need to be told the same origin story again that we've heard a thousand mm -hmm. times you know mm -hmm. um and often the you know, the antidote to that a lot of times is uh, creators will try to tell it in like this radically new way. And I would say that's kind of what the Batman Superman retelling did was like, all of a sudden it was just really crazy. And she had these clashes with Power Girl and her, you know, powers would go on the fritz when the two of them were together. And it was, and, you know, they both visit outer space and <laughs> take on these different names. And, you know, it was like, ah, oh, okay, we're really going, you know, off the planet with this one. Um, and Supergirl being super includes that origin story, but it all just sort of fits well, you know? It's more about the writing and how they focus on her being a teenage girl with real life problems. And, you know, the origin just kind of is the background. It's in the background there, you know? It's like set dressing. Uh, they don't, it, you know, they don't just literally retell it. And I really appreciated that. Um, and I would say overall, just the striking thing about this comic is that it is, uh, it was, it's really sad. I mm. don't, <laughs> um, I just don't know way, a way around that. Like that was really, you know, as I was going through them all in one sitting, um, that was my takeaway was like, wow, this is, this is like a sad comic. It, um, it, she's about to turn 16. She has two really great friends. Uh, they, all participate in the on the track team um and they uh at a track meet one of them is like super athletic one of them is super artsy and you know has like purple hair and then uh Cara is in between them and at a uh track meet there's this terrible earthquake and literally kids are like falling into the earth and they're rescuing them and uh Cara it makes this very daring rescue to save one of the, the friends who's fallen in there. Uh, she's holding on to her and somehow her powers go on the fritz and she drops her. So she has to deal with this death of like, I, you know, did I do everything I could? Um, but thankfully they don't linger on that, which was another like just cool, like just subtle little twist where you can see there's so many superhero stories where they linger on that one moment of, did I do enough? What, you know, and they blame themselves so much. And she, kind of quickly knows like I did enough and I just need to grieve. Mm. And it's like, Oh, there's such a good portrayal of her mom and dad and how they treat her differently in that grief, you know, with her mom bringing food to her room and her dad being like kind of too tough to talk about it, but still wanting to be near her and with her through that grief. And it's like, Holy shit, this is a really three dimensional superhero, um, I, I, I just, I, you know, I found myself like really invested in it. And then the way that the sort of, you know, whatever you want to call it, like the super plot, you know, the plot, the way this is revealed, um, 
is just in a uh, a really cool way. Um, I, you know, I don't want to give too. I don't want to give any spoilers because I think it's worth getting through it. It's not a very obvious thing. You know, it's not like a big beam from space comes down and causes this earthquake, and Supergirl gets called into action to to fix it. You know, it's very much about her discovering like herself and she's been aware of these powers, but she's never done anything with them. Uh, and why are they suddenly going on the fritz? Does it have something to do with her turning 16? Is this like puberty for her? Uh, it's just about getting through this story, you know, of this tragic thing that happens in her small town and her friend dying because of it. Um, and the other friend, meanwhile, she is, she is also sort of uh, not had to pull her out of the, the um, split in the earth but um, a, a, like a telephone pole falls and Kara is able to deflect it from her friend, you know, so her friend kind of knows like something's different with you. <laughs> What's but going she's on? Never, but like nobody like Superman or nobody has interceded to go, Hey, Kara, you, you're from Krypton. Like she doesn't know anything about that. Yes. Like her parents didn't impart that to her. Well, so without going to, to, you know, without giving any spoilers away, she has always been aware that, she has been a, I, I, it's funny. It's kind of like, even me, my hesitation at saying alien is because I think she would hesitate. This character would hesitate to call herself an alien. She knows that in herself, you know, because she knows there's a craft in the barn and she arrived in it and her parents found her and they protected her and hid the craft. And she, um, there's a really great flashback, uh, when she, uh, uh, I, I, yeah, there's a great flashback when she sees her teacher at her house and her parents are talking to the teacher about this, about her missing class and the grief she's dealing with, where she sees this scene and flashes back to the scene in her youth mm-hmm. um, where there's, there's kind of a rift in the family because her parents have taken her in mm. and the, and you know, these other people in the family are, are worried about it and they don't really trust her. And it's, it's just, so, it's so well done, you know? I mean, it's like, re, it was almost like reading a novel. And, Interesting. And I've plugged, uh, Gwenda Bond has a, um, a series of YA novels about Lois Lane. And I, th- those are very, very YA-ish. Uh, and mm-hmm. this, this almost feels a little bit older than those, even though it's right at the same age level or whatever. But it was just, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to do, it's hard to do the measured complexity of a superhero for so long. Complexity has just meant making it more dark, you know, mm-hmm. ma- making them like have to struggle with killing somebody or something like that. And, or, or it's, you know, it's the Marvel way of the superheroes with the feet of clay. And, and th- I feel like Marvel kind of tosses in these nuggets from time to time about, Oh, they've got a zit or they're a teenager or what, you know, it's, it's just sort of, you know, uh, what do you want to call it? It's just, it's just a window dressing that they're teenagers. It's not, it's not like you don't feel it always like they're going through the same thing. Um, Especially with like the X-Men, which I think is a great example of those teenagers going through that is they're not, you don't see, they're in a high school with other mutants. So yeah, they're having these weird feelings and problems, but they're not the alien that's separated. And so it actually, the way it unravels in this, like it's not, Superman is not, in the background. And that's a really challenging thing to do in a Supergirl story. Why, why and, is that? Is that, there's there a reason well, for that? You, you only find out much later in that he's only just then appearing on the scene. Okay. 
And so it's oh, he, so he it, was it, he, the he news had... just hasn't really traveled about him yet. Oh, interesting. So yeah, it's very you know again, it's like just that's kind of a quiet thing that's in the background, and it doesn't take up that much of the story. Like when you find out about it, it just sort of answers that question for you of oh, that's why we haven't seen him yet. I feel like this would be a perfect companion piece to Superman American Alien, which we've talked about before, which I love. I love that book Um, because that book is really a lot of the same themes, right? It's Superman, not nobody sat him down and went like, you're from Krypton, Cal. Like nobody gave him that information. So he's coming to terms with his power. Like even when he's like a little kid and he's just inexplicably floating, his dad has to hold on to him so he doesn't float away. Like just all these things. And then him figuring out, it actually takes – spoilers it takes lobo in the final book to actually explain to him you know what he is and at that point he's just only gotten the suit so i almost feel like you could end superman american alien and just go right into the supergirl <laughs> book and they would they would probably line up pretty effectively it's almost i hesitate to call them elseworlds because it's that it is kind of that but it also when you find an a sort of canon that feels more legitimate to you right. it almost becomes your it's your canon so it's not an elseworlds book anymore it's like no no that's that is superman's origin to me like that is his life i'd yeah. much rather see that as a movie than any other story i also like that you kind of called marvel out a little bit on on that because a lot of people point to oh you know they represent real teenage life or like they represent like you know, people as people and yeah they do but a lot of it is like you said window dressing and i feel like dc tends to dig a little deeper or get a little headier if they need to, you know, in these kinds of things, which they should, they, they shouldn't yeah. shy away from that. Well, it really, and it, of course, it's so much when I'm reading a, a Marvel or DC, you know, a, a, a condensed story like this, do I think of this quote that I saw a long time ago from a creator who said, um, DC is a creator's paradise because they let you take these, characters who are just these huge archetypes and tell whatever story you want with them, you know, within reason, of course. Um, But Marvel is much more of like a fan's paradise because they're so concerned with having everything fit back together in the canon. But I think that makes it, that really kneecaps Marvel because you can't, you know, when they tell an alternate origin story, um, it start. It doesn't. It just doesn't ring true because you're, yeah. you're like, well, this is just, then it def- definitely feels like that Elseworlds kind of thing. Whereas in DC, it's almost like a Rashomon sort of thing. Am I using that correctly? It's like, oh, this is how we saw the origin of of Supergirl going, you know, or this is how we saw it going, you know. It's like they can all sort of take their shot at it. Um, and for me, it's definitely not so much about the origin story now as the circumstances of the character in that origin story. If that makes any sense you know because yeah. everyone wants to just go like let's just you know let's tell the story as if they just appeared on the scene in 2017 mm-hmm. and <laughs> it's so much more challenging to do um what tamaki and jones have done here and and make it contemporary but you know grounded like like they didn't have to tell they didn't have to start with the spacecraft landing on earth and tell it sort of in order that way you know it's like let's take it from here um, I, I, it's kind of like, boy, I almost wish they would like, you know, put this in Canon and just pick up <laughs> Supergirl. It, well, let me ask you on that, here. on that front on in normal Canon, does, does Kara, does, do, does she always know where she's from and who she is? Like, does she, you know, she remembers her parents putting her in there going, you have to look after Cal or is that like just one of many origin it's, sort of threads that gets pulled in from time to time? No, I think that's canon. I think canon is that it, it might not be that she always knows it. It might be that, like, um, 
in this one where she's trying to piece it together uh, okay. of, of what she knows to be true and what um, she's fuzzy on, which is kind of, which is, that's the real mystery of this is not so much what caused this earthquake. It's almost like, you know, that's the B story of what's mm-hmm. the disaster that's happening in her mm-hmm. town. And the A story is, uh, you know, what's going on in her life. That's yeah. doing all these, and and it's just great how the two connect. And I would say if the you know if I want to, if I want to just be honest and talk about like shortcomings, the the resolution to that B story to the like action part um, is it's so tidy and quickly handled that I actually had to flip back through and go, did I miss a page? You know, mm-hmm. um, I, the good thing about it is they don't they don't try. I mean, I say tidy, but it's they don't wrap it up and like put a bow on it. It's basically, it's, uh, you know, she uh, um, uh, solves the problem at hand and the larger danger is still lurking. And that's, I, that's fine. You know, that's got like a cool, oh, totally. it's not, it's not really like a cliffhanger. It's like, that's how a season ends. You know, you don't, yeah, yeah. you don't feel unsatisfied that you didn't, you know, beat the, the big baddie in that one moment. You, you, you know, that's okay. Um, and it's almost. It sounds almost like this could have been. This didn't necessarily have to be a Supergirl book. Like the main story could have been about any character from a small town. It just happens to be Supergirl in this case. But it could have been like you know, Penelope Wincup. You know, fights this. You know, has superpowers suddenly and fights like any of those like indie image titles that we like, where they do some kind of like origin story or something, or people with extraordinary abilities. I mean, is, yeah. is that a fair assessment? It, that's pretty fair. I think you know, you and I both talked about um, at least the first. Uh, uh, arc in Huck, and yeah. oh, good, good you know, call. There's yeah. definitely like you can, you know, it's it's in that same family. Like I would, I would basically say that. Like if you're a pure indie person, but you enjoyed Huck, like you, you probably enjoy this, you know. Um, and but I also think like if you're just a Supergirl fan, like you're gonna enjoy this, you know. And it's gonna feel really uh, full. And I think one of the problems, as much as I liked the weird retelling of Supergirl in the Batman Superman books of like the early two thousands, it, it, it was just a, it was a, you know, they were telling, they started out telling Supergirl story through the eyes of these two dudes in the universe. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's fine. They are the, you know, the, the huge patriarchs of the universe, I guess. And that, I mean, it's Batman and Superman. It's not like she was, you know, like it wasn't like the flash and Robin were, were looking after or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, 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 it almost, you know, made her, she didn't have a personality in that book where she was introduced, not until they spun out the Supergirl title. Did, did you encounter like Kara's personality? Um, whereas this one is just so solidly her, you know, no mention of Batman or any other heroes like that. And like I said, just this kind of background explanation of why you haven't seen Superman. Um, and then that just really good feeling at the end of like, I, you know, the, the, the story is, res- the mystery is resolved but the larger danger is still there. And so you can see like, you know, you can kind of imagine in your head of where this character is going to go after that. I, I did want to mention one thing just to address it is that when I looked it up on the DC comics page, uh, this is kind of inexplicable to me. DC <laughs> allows comments on their like single issue. Like if you just Google, what? if you just Google like DC comics, Supergirl being super and you land on their, you know, the DC comics.com page there's mm-hmm. there's comments in there like ratings basically and which is great i mean it's a product to rate um it's just so it's just sort of funny when you know people do that and you you're faced with that what do we moderate it do we take off the negative stuff 
not that it was negative, but I saw a couple of comments about, oh, this is it's such a ripoff of the TV show. And I wish they would just go back to old Supergirl and pre uh, you know, new 52 and blah, blah, blah. And I, this was not the TV show at all. <laughs> I don't know what these people are thinking. <laughs> I feel like they reviewed the wrong comic book because actually mm-hmm. the canon, like weekly or monthly title or whatever it is of Supergirl, at least with the last reboot when they, when they gave her an, her own title again. Um, and I guess that wasn't new 52, but like a couple years ago, they just started, they just read everything with like an issue number one or something like that. I don't know what the hell's mm-hmm. going on with DC anymore, but I did pick up several of those Supergirl issues and that was exactly like the TV show. Like they had cat grant in it. And you know, it was, it was like, Oh, we're going to use all the characters from the TV show and not mimic it, but definitely tie into it so they could, grab those viewers whereas supergirl being super is very much its own thing does not feel like the tv show at all she is not in the you know big city she is in her small town she it's very very personal um it's not about her being the hero it's about her dealing with her issues and and figuring out yeah her own origin story basically so is there do you think there's a a, you know, through the TV show, through things like this, do you think there's a a focused effort to make Supergirl either at least on par with Superman or even more important or powerful than Superman uh, for the foreseeable future? I, I definitely think they want to get away from the idea that Supergirl is sort of a, a lesser super person that only appears, you know, as part of the super family or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, 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 and I think they're doing a good job of that. Like even, you know, even if I, I, I'm, I, I don't really want to criticize this, like the Canon, you know, monthly title of Supergirl. Like I, I haven't read it in a while and I didn't stop reading it because I didn't like the story. I, I just stopped reading because I didn't really like the art. Um, which is a, you know, obviously we, we bring that up a lot. And, uh, so it didn't bother me that it had TV characters in it is what I'm saying. Like, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. I, but I, I think you're onto something there because I do think what they, what DC wants to do is very much make Supergirl her own person that we don't see as part of the Superman, you know, legacy. Well, it's like from what I've seen of the TV show, especially when Superman does eventually show up in right. latter seasons, like he's almost, he's very much a side character. It's like, oh, you're here. Okay. Like yeah. he's there to pitch in but she's like she basically as soon as she can she's like i've got it i'll take it from here like you you run along now and it's just kind of like it was kind of interesting to see that because it's i mean part of my problem is i've yet to see other than superman american alien that was the first time i ever gave two craps about that character i don't i just even as good as christopher reeve was i just didn't i never have cared about superman i just so much of what he is 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 hokey like and it's funny too because like goku from dragon ball z is basically the exact same character and i could watch him 10 hours to maybe 10 minutes of what i would watch superman so it took that that uh that book coming out for me to actually go oh my god this is the first time i give a crap but then seeing uh, Kara's story evolve too like i want to see it would be great to see more stories in the future around her relationship with him, maybe some Elseworld stuff where she does get here before he does. So she is older than him. You know, well, and we actually true. see, you know, like that kind of thing where she has to like guide him. I, one of the oh, things sorry, I was sorry. Ask, she doesn't arrive before him, but she is correct. older than him when she arrives. Yes. 
she's well she's old but she hasn't she physically hasn't aged accordingly she's like right, she's right. been around longer than him but she's she was in stasis so she doesn't you know she's still a girl she's not like superwoman um you know she's not she's his she's his uh little big cousin you know or whatever, whatever you want to say but the thing that like i've craved for a while now and you kind of hinted at it with that other that other run on supergirl but i have craved a story where she gets here before Cal does, as as was planned, and ends up getting like brought into the Amazon world a little bit more at some point more in a, in a mainstream way. Maybe maybe uh, Diana's mother, um, maybe Hippolyta like pulls her in, or it, somehow she winds up there, so she's able to mature as like a a strong like you know kind of warrior woman, and then she's able to guide Clark um, or Cal when he shows. Like I, I want to see them play with that because I think there's a lot of you know with with DC doing this whole White Knight offshoot of batman i would love to see more of that kind of stuff on the supergirl superman front because i think it's almost like they have a, a lot of a lot of fertile ground to tell some interesting twists you know like what would have happened if she had gotten here first like let's see that i mean maybe it has I just, yeah. i'm not aware of those books i and if it has i'm i'm not aware of it either the super family is gigantic right now there's like a, <laughs> there's a super boy i think oh, I, I don't understand where he came from there's a super woman <laughs> Um, there is, uh, and they're all different people and I don't know what the fuck's going on. See, but, okay. Um, at some is- point though, but wait, 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 at some point, and this is my biggest problem with the big two, all of this, like the, be- the beginning stuff, like the first act of any of these characters is always so awesome. At some point that third act, which, you know, you're, the third act never technically comes for anybody. You know, I mean, in some stories or elseworld tales, like it does, but what happens when you get that many people with abilities, like it, the world wouldn't just go on and these people are just hanging out. Like there's, I want to see more done to talk about the, you know, the pitfalls when you get that many, like, like freaking Watchmen <laughs> did it with one guy. They're like, Oh God, Dr. Manhattan's here. He has completely changed the entire global political equation. Like what happens when you get that many super people in one spot? Like when I watched, um, you know, I watched the justice league cartoon back in the, you know, back in the late or late nineties, early two thousands, it got, I had to stop because at some point there's like 75 members of the justice league. And I'm like, okay, what? Right. clearly like world governments would be very uncomfortable with that. Like when there's yeah. just like this ever, like ever, never ending group of, you know, meta, <laughs> meta humans, like what, what, like they can't just run around being heroes. Like there's gotta be more to it than that. And even like amongst themselves, like I want to see more infighting more, you know, maybe somebody goes astray or maybe like they be like that. There's a lot of meat there that I wish the big two would handle more than they do. Like image does it just fine. Image has a lot of image titles too are meant to end, you know, meant to end. Right. Or most of the big two is not, doesn't have that luxury as, you know, as much. So, I mean, that kind of speaks to that problem of just like, you know, it is much better to just have a Supergirl title where she's developed on her own because once you start all those team ups, yeah, you face yeah. that question. And then if you're Marvel and everything has to be in canon, you do crazy shit like the House of M or or whatever these other things are where they literally wipe out, you know, 95% of the superheroes. And then, if, of course, a few years later, they're like, we really need more superheroes. So they bring them all back in some oh resurrecting way or whatever. And it's like, oh, you know, I mean, yeah, it's I like this. uh I, I think at other times I've spoken to like a good team up, but um, you know, this one really just uh, it hit me in a good spot. So um, I definitely recommend it. Last question. Did you get it physically or digitally? Oh, physically. Yeah. You recommend that? Um, I, I mean, I, it, there's, you know, just being honest. Um, we're not, well, I'm not like a big 
digital comic book reader. Like I, comics are the one artifact that I think it's cool to own, um, you know, as opposed to like music or movies or something. Um, but uh, it, I don't think it matters in this case. Like I bet it looks just as good digitally. You know, it's not, I, I don't think you're missing anything if you go digital. Um, and certainly if there's, you know, an easy way to just grab all four issues digitally, I, that's the way to go. Um, it's really well done, like through the chapters, but uh, I, I definitely think it's like a good, you know, single sitting read. Just, just bang through it, you know. Cool. Uh, yeah, um, I, and I think it's worth noting, of course, too. I don't, I don't know what the creator teams are on Supergirl and Superwoman and stuff like that right now, but um, just having a all female creative team, I think, is really significant and allowed them to tell a story about a teenage girl in a way that you know. Uh, men don't do when they get their run on those books. So yeah. Nice. Very cool. Very cool. Well, my pick is not main. Well, it is mainstream, but not in America. Um, at least not oh yet. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It is the, uh, I went, I went the manga route this time. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I actually picked up book one of the black edition of death note. Um, okay. I know story- nothing about this series at all. Well, it's, so the story's by uh, Sugumi Oba and illustrated by Takishi Obata. Hopefully I didn't uh, murder that pronunciation. Um, but it's, I say it's the black edition because, and, and by the way, published by Viz Media um, in the States, the black edition takes volumes one and two. So in, in, in manga terms, it's like they're, you know, volumes one and two to, of their trades and puts it together in a single book that is actually really cool. Um, the page, uh, the page uh, edges are all black. So when you pick it up, it's just one giant black tome that is sort of, you know, reminiscent of the actual Death Note notebook that's in the story. I, I mentioned this also though because there are six of these goddamn things. Like the like book one is what I'm holding right now, and it's pretty thick. You know, for manga, it's pretty substantial. Um, but there are six of these. So, so I just six read six of these kind of omnibus collections that you're yes holding? of Death Note of the Whoa. story of Death Note, which I don't understand how they did this because this just this book is pretty like they could have just ended it right here and they actually wrap up a lot of a lot of things in this particular volume. I mean, there's a big kind of over overarching thing, but I can't imagine they don't finish that in the second book. So like the fact that there are six, I'm really wondering like what on earth could possibly stretch them into that into that territory. It's just crazy. But uh, before I jump further into that, the, oh, and by the way, too, the original uh, publication in Japan was through Weekly Shonen Jump, which is a magazine over there. So if you want to go, if you really want to go old school and get the actual original, original publication, look for an issue of Weekly uh, Shonen Jump. And then again, Viz Media here in the States. The, the synopsis uh, is, is this. The series centers around a high school student named Light, who discovers a supernatural notebook that allows him to kill anyone by writing the victim's name while picturing their face. So you got to know what they look like and you got to know their name. And then it, uh, it, it follows his attempts to create and lead a world cleansed of evil using the book and the complex, uh, complex conflict between himself and those uh, assailing him uh, or trying to find out who he is. So Light is this uh, kind of, you know, gifted high school kid, um, you know, one of those kids who's in like the public school uh, or private school, whatever it is, but he's really bored. You know, he gets A's all the time. He's just, he's basically like a really high functioning kid and he's just bored and he finds this notebook one day on the street and he picks it up and it says death note and it's got some rules written in it. And as soon as he touches it, he sees this giant demon 
called a um, Shinigami. And it looks, uh, it, I'm trying to describe it. If you're listening at home, or I guess, Todd, if you're not looking it up on, on Google Images, the Shinigami in this, it's like, it's almost like a, uh, like an 80s punk rocker with some like, you know, with some, uh, you know, like, cause he's got like this black, almost like leather suit on with some frills and everything. And he's got like, you know, his skin is stapled on the next side, you know, that's, and he's got like a kind of a rictus grin, but for the most part, like you could easily imagine like Jermaine Clemens from flight of the Concords, like just just dressed up for the night with like some crazy ass makeup on. And you'd basically have this guy now, coincidentally, um, Netflix. And the reason I even know this exists is because Netflix did a movie this year based on, I think most of this first book or this first kind of volume, maybe it dips into the second. And um, uh, Willem Dafoe actually voices the Shinigami in that one. But the Netflix movie Whoa. is dog shit. Um, it is not good. It is very, it just is, it's awful. Um, especially after reading it. Cause I'm like, it, I, I watched it on Netflix going, okay, this is obviously based on a manga. I'm guessing they're, they missed as bad as it is. They must've missed, a lot of good stuff. So I'm really curious to see what they missed. And sure enough, the book has a lot of Richard. It just makes way more sense. has a lot of richer detail. Like they just, they've made it an Americanized mess. And then the only, the only cool thing is the Shinigami voiced by Willem Dafoe. Like that, that makes, that works really well. So, Um, okay. So back up or not to back up, but let me question you on this. So you were unfamiliar with the manga before you watched that movie that was on Netflix. Correct. Never had heard of it before. Hadn't even seen it. So when I came to watch that, uh, I had just seen a bunch of press on it and it kept popping up at Netflix on it. You might also like, you know, because their algorithm kind of pegged it. And again, they, they showed in the trailer, they show like, they show the demon. They show the, sh- the Shinigami. Yeah. And the Shinigami is a Japanese death demon. Um, so the death note is his book. And because he's also bored, because, you know, like I said, like Light, the character Light is, um, I forget his last name. God dang it. But Light, it's like Light, Light Toragami or something. I'll, I'll find it out. But like the, the Shinigami as well, he's bored. So he just drops the, ne- the, no- the death note onto the human world to see what happens and light happens to pick it up. So for the entirety of the story, the Shinigami is kind of like not haunting light, but he's always there. And as long as you're holding the death note, you can see him, but nobody else can. So he's got to be careful, you know, when he talks out loud to himself or, you know, if he hands, if he hands, um, hands him like an apple, like to everybody else, it looks like the apple's just floating, you know, floating in midair. Um, uh, and the actual Shinigami's his he's got a name. It's like Riku Raiku. Oh man, this is gonna drive me nuts. I gotta look here. Hang on, I gotta look up the actual names. I had all this pulled up. <laughs> I saw that it was Light Yagami. Light the- Yagami. There we go. Yeah, and I think Ryuk is the name of the Shinigami. So it's like Ryuk and Light. Um, and there's a lot of so a lot. There's a lot of really good kind of interplay between them. Like Light, pretty quickly. He's a pretty, he's pretty level-headed and rational. So right away, he's like, oh, wow, what are you? You must be a Shinigami. He's like, yes, I am. My name is Ryuk. And they have this, like, they kind of have this, like, weird odd couple relationship where, like, you know, he, Ryuk is constantly interested in how Light wants to use the Death Note. It's kind of like, oh, wow. You, like, he's, he's just, um, he's really fascinated with humans. So he's, this is almost like entertainment for him. And Light's constantly playing, like, head games with him to get him to, like, reveal more about the Death Note or more about certain things. And they're very clear, like Ryuk very clearly early on goes like, hey, I'm not on your side, man. I'm just here to, to hang out and, and enjoy myself. So like, I'll tell you, you know, I'll tell you some basic stuff, but I'm not going to help you in your cause. Like, I don't, I'm not like, you know, I'm not supportive. I'm not like your, your, 
your, your guardian angel or anything. I'm just here. Um, and what Light wants to do with the Death Note, once he realizes what it is and what it can do, he goes on this quest to rid the world of crime. So he starts writing like actual criminals' names in the Death Note and they all die. Now, early on, you discover if he doesn't say anything else, he, just, he knows what they look like and he puts their name in, they just die of a heart attack. And I think there's like a, like a time window. I think like within 27 hours or maybe even like 42 minutes. Like there's different, different rules depending on how you write somebody's name in. But you can also specify how they die. And then as the story goes along, he learns more and more about the rules and kind of like the, the rules that can be bent in the Death Note. So he, you know, at some point there's, there's, he learns, um, you know, he can actually control the actions of somebody before they die. So he can say, you know, this person goes and does this and then they do this and then they die this way. And, and typically that works. Um, at some point he starts to kill off, you know, a bunch of these criminals start to die and then eventually the authorities take notice. And then Interpol takes notice because they're like, why are all these criminals just randomly dying? White also makes a really crucial mistake in that as, that sto as the story and, and sort of the conspiracy starts to spread about all these people dying, he creates this, this character called Kira, um, which is like an ancient Japanese god that he kind of uses as his, his, uh, you know, his, his ghost name or his, like, you know, his uh, character name. And basically they start to ascribe all this stuff to Kira. So he makes Kira into this like celebrity that like, you know, all, you know, everybody in the school is like, Hey, you know, isn't Kira awesome. He's cleansing the world of all these p bad people. That just gives Interpol more to think about. Eventually, <clears throat> and this is kind of where things really heat up. Interpol brings in this, also another teenager named L. We never know, we never find out what his real name is, at least in this book, and I don't think we ever do. Well, maybe, maybe at some point, but in this book, we never find out what his name is. And it, most, I would say maybe three-fourths of the book, we never see his face. He's always hidden. He's talking to people through like, you know, layers of encryption or, you know, behind it, you, you never, there's no video camera. He's talking through like, you know, a guy will walk into a room and open up a briefcase and then you'll just hear L start talking. But he's kind of like this savant kid who's been instrumental in helping Interpol solve a bunch of different crimes. So it's kind of like, you know, like a, a hyper Sherlock Holmes, age 14. And they bring him in to start working on this case. And he, he figures things out pretty quickly. So at, eventually, after about a ha the halfway point, the book becomes this cat and mouse game, this detective story between L and Light. And then eventually you find out, and this isn't really a spoiler, you learn this pretty quick, L's father is actually the head of the police department in their uh, Japanese suburb or their, their, their county. So that becomes a big thing at some point. And then more people, they, they start to narrow in on where light or, you know, where Kira quote unquote, uh, who's really light might be hiding. So as that happens, light has to shift his, his um, obsession with killing criminals to how do I scare all the people away who are, who are trying to get after me. And that becomes this whole gradual slip of lights, um, morals. Like he just, he, one by one starts selling, you know, pushing the line, pushing the line, pushing the line. And it becomes pretty freaking corrupt. So the fact that there's like six of these, you know, these, these kind of big books, I hmm. really wonder where he ends up. Um, you know, and then the entire time, <clears throat> Ryuk, his, his, uh, you know, the Shinigami demon who's kind of following him is constantly like, he's, he's kind of amazed. He's like, wow, you know, like you're really, you are as a human, you're pretty, you're pretty clever. And, you know, you're, you're almost as uh, sinister as a Shinigami. You know, there, he makes a couple, a couple of remarks that light would make a good Shinigami. So I'm wondering if that's not where this ends up heading. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of, and I, I can't say too much more without getting into spoil, you know, really heavy spoiler territory, but there's, there's a lot of sinister stuff that pops up that you're like, Oh my God, like that light 
does for his own safety, but also for his cause. Because he's still like, like most, you know, I love the fact that, that stories like this, most bad guys don't just start off inherently evil. Like one of my biggest problems with Harry Potter is that Voldemort just is bad. Like it's never really, even as a little kid, he's just an evil little kid who grew up into an evil wizard. I like when villains or villainous or antagonistic elements, you know, they believe in something at the expense of their values or at the expense of their morality. Like that's where a real bad guy kind of evolves. Like when you ask them, like, do you think what you're doing is bad? They'll say, no, no, what I'm doing is just and right. It just happens to be a complete opposition to what most of society thinks is just and right. So all of a sudden you have the origins of this kind of bad guy who's actually the main character of the story. So it's a really, really cool, slow burn, um, that you go through, uh, and uh, yeah, again, it's, it's manga, it's all black and white, which is actually great because I think where this color would be a little bit more distracting. Um, the illustrations are beautiful, really well done, you know, really, really, uh, um, you know, especially for an American audience. Like it just, and let's remember like the, the Japanese have been at this way longer than we have. I feel like we're, you know, the American comics um, market is just kind of now finally hitting that maturity that the Japanese have had for, you know, 20, 30 years. So it's like the Japanese can really weave a good story. Like they've gotten really, really freaking good at it. Um, so if you like any of those indie titles that we've talked about before, if you like image, if you've never picked up a manga, great time to start. You will, you'll, this will be an easy read. I did this in an afternoon. It's long, but it's, it goes pretty quick. I think if I end up getting the other volumes, I'm definitely going to go digitally on those. Cause I don't want, I can't, I don't have room for six of these to sit on my shelf, nor do I, nor do I want to necessarily go through six more or five more, but um, it's let just, it's a cool, it's a cool artifact for sure. Let me, uh, cause I got a lot of questions and, and if I let you keep talking, you'll probably just end up answering them and, and this will sound, it'll sound, make me sound smarter if I ask the questions for <laughs> Definitely. No, no, no. <laughs> so um, uh, first question is, uh, it, was this, this is super nerdy. Was it printed in a normal U.S. comic style where you're reading left to right, or is it printed in right to left? Oh, no, it's manga. You're going right to left, and you, nice. uh, you know, they, they have a read this way sign like every fifth page to keep you on track. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's funny. As I was doing that, and I've, you know, I've read manga before, um, but when you get engrossed in something like this and you're going you know, left to right and you're kind of reorienting your mind, it's, it's a refreshing experience. It kind of reminds me of when we saw Arrival last year. You know how like the, the whole point of that story was your, 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 your brain, your thoughts, the way you, you experience life can change simply based on the language that you're right. ingesting. Yeah. So I feel like in this case, like the story, you know, because it's manga, because like the page tips are all black, because I'm going right to left, um, you know, it is, it, it felt different than it would have if they had just made it, you know, truly, you know, dumbed it down for the American audience. So I really yeah. appreciate, uh, no, that that's fact. cool. And that also means that the art wasn't flipped, which is a thing that, you know, oh, I hate if, that. If you haven't read a manga before. You might not be aware that like, if you're actually reading it left to right, it generally means they flipped everything. Yeah. And then, you know, you're not actually seeing what the artist intended, which I think is a big exactly. deal. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so would you, uh, it, you, you kind of answered both these questions. So I'll just ask it, ask them together. Um, uh, try to, I'll try to come up with a combined question here. Um, what do you think you actually would have picked this up if it were in another version or was it really this version, this artifact that drew you to pick it up? Uh, I, I think it was the physic the, the, the way they designed it. Like, so, so, 
I had seen the Netflix series. Yeah. Or sorry, the, the movie. And was right, like, right. Yeah, I was about to clarify that. I was in a late night coffee shop with my fiance and we walked in there and I saw they had like this coffee shop just happened to be have like a, a nice little curated graphic novel shelf for sale. And all six of these were sitting there and I was like, Death Note. I'm like, oh my God, there's six of them. And I pulled it out and I was like, oh, this is, it just looked cool. The pages, you know, being black gives it an extra sort of feel like the cover is, is cool. It, it, you know, it's meant to feel you know, like the Death Note book itself in the story. So that, I think if it wasn't that way, I would have still probably looked at it, but I probably wouldn't have bought it that night. Maybe I would have grabbed it digitally later. You know, at some point I probably would have been curious enough to check it out. But the fact that it was, I'm a sucker for really good, you know, really well considered physical stuff. So I'm definitely, you know, I'll always pick something up for that, you know, almost beyond just the the quality of the story of the art. Just like, how cool is it? You know? Well, and I think it, it really says something to it that you watched the movie, didn't really enjoy the movie, so it's not like you were into the story and looking like, you know, what's where? What, let me see the better version of this story. It was you weren't yeah, really you, into it, and then you you watched the movie though. I mean, I watched the movie, and I'm like the entire time I was like, okay, there, there's got to be a better version of this gotcha. that right, they just right, mu- right. that they just mucked up because like there's no way that movie would have been a a a wildly successful manga the way it was. Like it just it was so watered down and just so just. No character development of any kind. Just the whole thing was right. was kind of kind of a now, mess. So I, I was curious to see what the Japanese really were intending. Now, do you know was is this a, a manga that's still going in some spinoff version, or is it really like it's these six volumes and you're done? I well, and keep in mind each volume is made each book is, is two is made up of, of two vol- yeah two traditional right. graphic you know uh, trades. In uh, in Japan, I think it's done by all by everything I've seen. I don't I don't know if they've spun it off. I mean, it seems like the kind of story that, regardless of what happens to Light, you know, if his story ends, that Death Note can just be sent to somebody else. You know, so I would imagine it would be kind of kind of interesting to see, you know, like almost like an '80s horror movie where just like you know, the you know, other people keep having dreams. You know, whoever Freddy Krueger kills or is defeated by, he he can just pop up again. So I feel like it's kind of in that tradition. You have the ability for this to keep going. That's almost why I want to kind of blaze, try to get through the rest of them just to see where this yeah. goes. Cause I was, I, I was perfectly satisfied with this story. It moved a little sluggishly in some spots, you know, like with most um, anime or manga, like there's a, there's a, has, there's a, uh, a habit of kind of going a little too soap opera and letting certain scenes play out way too long, but it's not distracting. It's like, it's definitely to serve the story. It's just, it's more of a, I think an, a sensibility for me personally than, right. than, a problem um but it is so but i, I do want to kind of blaze through I'm, I'm sorely sorely tempted to wikipedia the rest of it just at least the general story arc just to see what they could possibly do for in five more because i mean I'll, i'm not going to say who but they kill off some pretty important characters that you're like <laughs> okay well that that person's not coming back um because you thought oh well that's you know surely that will be you know his foil in the next book and then they're gone you're like oh okay well um I'm not sure what they're going to, and they, and they really, they kind of pigeonhole themselves at the end of the book. You're, you're going to finish going, why is there five more? Like they could have wrapped this up in maybe two more chapters the way it was headed. So I'm really, I'm really curious. Well, so um, just from a reading perspective, you, it sounds like in the story, there are a lot of rules to the story, you know, about how, how the book works and the, how the, um, I already pronou- forgot how to pronounce the God of death character works do you feel as a new reader to it that you understood those rules like did they communicate that in a pretty clear way ah 
So the best part about that is as each after each chapter, or rather at the beginning of each chapter, there is a black page that says Death Note, how to use it. And it has different <laughs> rules, physically like written in both English, but also like the demon language, like translated below it. And, and most of the time when they call out rules, it has to do with something that's coming up in the chapter. So then it's, gotcha. it's expounded upon or you see it like put into practice. And there's a couple of times where they actually repeat some of the rules. They're like, hey, remember this? Rule number three. And so, yeah, they do a great job of like, keeping you aware of that. So like, you'll read that and go, Ooh, I wonder what this is going to be about. So it almost gets you excited to figure out how they, how that plays into the, the following chapter or the following sort of story. Uh, I'm not going to say arc, but part. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, they, they're very, they don't hold your hand, but they definitely, it, they put it all out on the table. So it's, it's, if you're paying attention, it's very easy to, to stay engaged. Very cool. And there's actually some rules too. It's interesting. There are some rules that are like written in the death note. There are some rules that light figures out for himself. Um, oh. And there's even, I think there's one part too where, uh, where Ryuk goes, you know, light figures something out and Ryuk goes, Oh, wow. I never knew that. That's interesting. Like, so there's, <laughs> there's things that like even Ryuk didn't know that light. I mean, light is really, they kind of going back to like how they're portraying teenagers in this, like he's really freaking competent. And it's not like, not like, uh, unbelievably so but just like if you imagine a really smart high achieving like super bored with his his base you know his generic life japanese kid like this is him like this is you could easily do this um mm. which is something by the way that the, the the movie did not do like the movie's version of light is just is basically just like a generic high schooler kid who just happens to find the death note. And then they, they hook him up with this like girl who's his girlfriend, who's kind of his corrupting influence. And I'm like, that's mm. not, it, it's just, it's not, it's not well thought out at all. Like there's the character of light when done this way is, is really compelling. Cause again, he's a, it's, it's almost, I'll, I'll say the, the, mo, the, the most um, logical kind of um, comparison point is breaking bad. Cause light starts off right. and he's, you know, you get the sense he's a good kid, but he's just like, he's not, that thrilled with his current state in life. And as this thing goes on, he just pushes, pushes his morality a little bit further, a little bit further, a little bit further. So in that, in that respect, if that's kind of where it's headed, I actually really am excited to see the rest of it. Cause if he goes full on, you know, full tilt, just totally bad. If he ends up where Walter White does, like that's a really interesting journey. Yeah. I would, um, do you happen to know what's the movie, a purely American production? Uh, it has to be. It uh, has to be. Let me see, though. Yeah, I, I don't know that either, uh, whether it was, um, you know, created in Japan and then turned into a U.S. Netflix release or, or what. Um, so. It is produced by, there's some Japanese producers. That doesn't mean the uh, company. I mean, it's, it's, it was funded by Netflix. I mean, it was. Oh, so here. So the uh, production companies were LP Entertainment, Vertigo Entertainment and Lynn Pictures. And then distributed by Netflix. So I think Netflix bought it. Um, Lynn Pictures, who is that? That is, that's Dan Lynn, a Taiwanese-born American film producer. So my guess is, it, like most things, it probably started off a lot pure and more loyal to the book than it, it ended up. Because um, it just, it, ha it reeks, the movie reeks of that just, you know, that, per that meddling from, from studio people. Like, well, you know, maybe this kid, maybe this person should be a black character so that we have that covered. And maybe this should be like, it just, it, it just felt like designed by committee to the point where just, it lost all, all punch. You know, like I would rather, I would rather mm. it have been like a very tight film 
um, you know, that was more of like a director's vision start to finish. I think it would have been a lot, you, it would have been a lot more satisfying. Although also it, it's one of those things where I don't know if a movie's length can really accommodate the story. They probably would have been better off just doing a series, honestly. Huh? Yeah. It's hard. It's hard to say when they make one bad movie that it's hard to picture, like they should have expanded it, but you know, well, again, that's... but like if your characters, if your main character is an anti-hero and you're watching his slow slide into, right. Into villainhood. I mean, like, break, imagine if Breaking Bad was a movie. Like, it just wouldn't, it wouldn't be, you wouldn't buy it. It'd be like, yeah. there's no, like, you get the, you get the, you know, you get 50 hours of seeing this character turn this way. Like, that's way more powerful. So, I mean, I mean, again, I need to see where the rest of the manga goes, but I am, uh, I can highly recommend if you're, again, if you're new to manga, if you love manga already, um, if you just like indie stories in general, like, pick this up. It's, it, it is a welcome addition on my shelf. Cool. Very cool. I do note that in the film, his name is Light Turner. <laughs> At that point, they should just change the first name too. Cause like it makes, there's something kind of metaphorical about it being, yeah. you know, Light Yagami and like just sort of what he represents. And like, there's, I, it's just a, it's just a hipster kid name in the, in the movie. Like there's so much about that movie. Like I recommend everybody go watch the movie just to get a sense of it and see how cool the, how cool Ryuk, cause Ryuk in that movie is cool. He's really well done and freaking well, uh, Willem Dafoe's voice is, is kind of perfect, but the book is so much better. I'm usually not one of those people. I almost am never one of those people that's like, the book was better. Because a lot of times it's not. I mean, I'll be honest. Like, I mean, the, I can name countless examples where, no, the movie was actually way a much better execution of this. Not in this case. The book is clearly better. Interesting. Uh, that's an awesome endorsement. And that's why this is the coffee and comics podcast. That's right. <laughs> Not our usual alcohol and movies podcast. <laughs> That'll come later. We'll do that. We'll do that when Thor Ragnarok hits theaters in a week or two. Oh, dude. Yes, we will. Um, well, tell me, Taylor, where can people find this podcast? Well, we'd love for you to uh, subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher and tell your friends to do the same. Share an episode. Let them know about uh, the Todd and Taylor Show. You can also find us on Twitter and SoundCloud and Instagram. We are Find Us There, all one word on those platforms. And then, of course, findusthere.org is our website. Findusthere.org. And uh, you'll find our other shows, too. We have uh, several other shows and some other cool things coming down the pike. So keep tabs on us. Tell your friends. And let us know if you've listened to the show and you're like, hey, I want you guys to review this this book next. Like, let us know. We'd love to hear um, what you're reading, what you want to read. Um, use us as your guinea pigs. We'd love to kind of, you know, be a, a good source of curation for you. Yeah, that's a great point. And generally speaking, we have been releasing these episodes on Saturday mornings. It's like the adult version of watching your cartoons with your cereal. Exactly. So grab a grab a coffee, tune into Coffee and Comics. Uh, thank you for being here, Taylor. Uh, and I'm Todd A. And we'll catch you next week for another Coffee and Comics. Bye.